0: This is your host of the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast, I'm Leisha Holmes, and I just wanted to say thank you for choosing to listen to our episode. Now before we start, I would like to thank our sponsors, Hoxo Media and Fincherry. I will explain a bit more about them later on in the episode, as to how you, our listener, can benefit from a unique discount by mentioning the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast when you contact them. Now, remember to click subscribe as you're listening now to get notified of every new weekly episode of the Recruiter's Recruitment Podcast. Without further ado, let's jump in to the episode. My goodness me, you're in for a treat. You've probably clicked on this episode because you recognise the next guest's name. On the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing people from all across our industry. But occasionally I do like to dip out and invite people on who have personally inspired me, both as a recruiter, but also as a human being and as an industry expert. And this next guest is certainly one of those. This is Bruce Daisley. And Bruce is a workplace culture enthusiast and evangelist. He was happy for me to say that. Uh, Vice President, ex-Vice President of Twitter, YouTube, Google. I mean, he's a tech expert. He's also a Sunday Times bestseller uh, with his latest book, Fortitude, Unlocking the Secrets of Inner Strength. That's a definite must-buy that you uh, need to read. And he also hosts a wonderful podcast called Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. And during this slightly longer than normal episode, it's definitely worth staying tuned for. We talk about everything from workplace culture whether recruitment companies should be going hybrid or getting people back in the office. How do leaders ensure that they continue a culture and have a collaboration? How do we ensure that as recruiters, we're attracting the best talent pools as the market gets tighter and tighter? What can we do to ensure our competitive edge with that? What do we do when there's a mood hoover, when there's a drain in our business, but yet they might be still performing well? We talk about so many different topics. I could have had Bruce on for hours. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and please remember to subscribe to our episode so you can listen in for future guests too. So without further ado, here on the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast, let's jump in to the episode. This is Leisha Holmes and I'm your host on the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast and I'm absolutely in awe today to be honest with you because my next guest on the podcast is somebody that I've been listening to on his podcast and been following for a number of years having come across him on uh, Diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett and listening to his own podcast I'm now a super fan Eat Sleep Work Repeat. This is Bruce Daisley who I'd like to say is a bit of an evangelist when it comes to workplace culture and talking about how we should be working in the modern world so welcome to you today Bruce how are you?
1: Oh, good thank you how are you?
0: I'm all right thank you I hope that intro was okay I'm, I am a little bit Fabulous. of a fat a bit of a fan so I'm having to kind of calm myself down a little bit but thank you for joining us today so there might be people listening because we have got a global audience who are not yet familiar with who you are what your podcast is about so would you like to give a much better synopsis of what you actually do?
1: And anyone mentions that story of a CEO mm-hmm. uh, interview to me. I, uh, I remember vividly what happened and it was in the midst of, of one of the extremes of COVID um, where I don't think you were really even meant to leave your house unless it was work related, extremely work related. Mm-hmm. And he said, we record record in person and it is exempt for that. And uh, anyway, I set off <laughs> and uh, I left my house and every shop in London is closed where I live. And uh and I set off and I'm like halfway there and I, I like getting to places on, you know, 10 minutes early, but like uh, I'm halfway there and I realised I it's a video interview as well. Anyway, let me tell you, I look like, uh, I turn up there, I look like I'm wearing a Greta Thunberg t-shirt, some sort of sports hoodie. I look like it's laundry day. That's the only way to describe it. It's laundry day, which is unfortunate because I can be well presented in real life. But um, anyway, so it's when anyone ever mentions that i think oh god! Oh no
0: anyway, it's like it's, it's like when you see an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend in the supermarket and you haven't got any makeup on you've got your tracky on and then you realize that's how you look it's a similar kind of mental oh absolutely of the, mecha- the
1: mechanics of just thinking on my i always used to think about wimbledon you know i always used to think i just want it to be sunny for those two weeks because when americans <laughs> are turning on the telly when spanish people are, are, basking in their glorious <laughs> sunshine and they turn on the telly and they go that's oh, quite pretty nice in britain that's yeah. all i want i just I want like to, to put on your best display <laughs> of course I, you do for a long time i worked in uh, technology companies i worked at google i set up youtube in the uk for google i um then i went to twitter i worked for eight years as a senior leader ultimately across europe middle east and africa and, and during that time i became obsessed with Workplace culture. I was always fascinated with it, the mechanics of your favorite job, that favorite team that you were ever in, why that team felt different to this team, why your team in the same company felt different to that team across the floor where everyone seemed to spend their time crying. And so yeah, I was always struck by like the 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 elements that forge that and you know, actually Mm. recruitment it's about trying to bring those right pieces together it's about sort of being the the conductor of that to some extent writing the finding yeah. the right roles um anyway so i do a podcast on workplace culture and you know on ultimately sort of how to enjoy our work more and not because like i'm like an agent for the bosses trying to you know tell you that you need to enjoy work you better love this work mm-hmm. but more because if you're going to spend 40 hours a week doing something it's a way better to way to spend a lifetime with a smile on your face than then sort of feeling wretched and isolated and lonely anyway oh. and I've um so that I, I did uh, I do a podcast on that I did a book on that called the joy of work and I've just this year had a new book it's just uh this week a Sunday Times bestseller uh top five in the Sunday Times best- bestsellers and that's called Fortitude and it's about the the myth of resilience and what we get wrong about resilience
0: We're going to come on to that. And I have actually, again, super fun. I have brought one with me for anyone watching on YouTube. Congratulations on the Sunday Times. And it's having only got managed to get through a few chapters before we recorded this, it's superbly written and really enjoyable. Um, I want to pick up on a really important word there, actually, because we're coming at this, although from different aspects, for the same purpose, which is about creating joy in what we do. And not many people have talked about that, I think. It's always been seen as a bit of a, I don't know, flaky thing to say. So I'm really delighted that you're coming at it from the same point, because I think... Everyone listening to this is going to be associated in some way to recruitment across the world, whether it's as an industry leader in-house for an actual brand, maybe like Twitter, or for as a recruiter starting out their journey. We are conduits. We are here to, you know, ensure that the people that we place and the people that we hire are part of, of our culture. So I think it's a really great starting point. So it is around workplace culture that's what you are seen as the expert voice in and and the enthusiast I love that word so one big topic that's been sort of talked about really since Covid began is whether or not and I have listened to one of your podcasts on this but I'm not going to lead you on it whether we should be encouraging a hybrid culture because it's the biggest talks about topic in recruitment Bruce let me tell you should we be going hybrid should we be getting people back in the office should we be forcing it so How would you position that in our industry? Okay, so I just wanted to break away from the chat for 60 seconds to talk to you about an issue a lot of agencies are facing right now and what one company, Hoxo Media, are doing about it. There's a lot of talk about what it takes to be the quote-unquote modern recruiter, personal branding, building an online presence, finding new and innovative ways to engage the market, whatever your market is. It's an approach most businesses are fumbling around with at the moment, to be honest. Meanwhile, HOXO have absolutely nailed it. They are arguably the world's foremost marketing agency dedicated exclusively to the recruitment sector. And they've worked out what recruiters need to do to see tangible success through online activity. They've developed a proven methodology to follow on LinkedIn daily to establish you, you, as the go-to recruiter in your space and drive inbound leads and new business opportunities on a consistent basis. Now, they teach it all to you over an eight-week course in the Hoxo Academy. I actually completed the Hoxo Academy in the very height of COVID, and it completely transformed my business. In fact, it paid for itself by the end of week two. The best place to find out more about Hoxo Media is to check out their website, hoxomedia.com or search for them on LinkedIn and give them a follow. They give away an absolute ton of valuable advice and actionable tips for free. But if and when you're ready to seriously invest in your online brand, give these guys a shout. But make sure to tell them that Leisha from Key Recruitment sent you, and just quote the podcast, The Recruiter's Recruitment Podcast, and they'll give you a cheeky discount as well. Not bad, eh? Now, back to the chat.
1: Yeah, I I feel I feel that this is um a re- I I love the reversal of fortune that's happened here. So anyone who's worked with senior management, leadership, you know what's sometimes called the C-suite, C-suite over the last few years, they've um the the magazines, the courses that they've sent themselves on, they've they've all said this mantra to themselves that you know the only constant mm-hmm. is change, and you know our teams need to get rid of change. There's been funny books uh, written on this bestsellers Uh, I love I love the whole mechanic of this there was a book called who moved my cheese um, I've read it it, well it was this parable that bosses used to buy for their teams and the reason why that book sold immense amounts in fact this week it probably still still sold enough to get into the bestsellers and, uh, it, and it's effectively bosses used to drop it on their teams and it'd be like, yeah, you're moaning that we've had a restructure. Well, you better get used to it because the mouse who gets the cheese is the mouse who learns that the cheese has moved. Right. That's it. They've mm-hmm. preached to everyone. You better get used to change. Here's what's happened in the last two and a half years. The world has changed. And the only people who are really crying about it are the people who bought these passive aggressive esops fables and handed them to, and so managers across the world of work like well this isn't working and I kind of think we need to get everyone back to the office right now and I just love the reverse I love it I love the irony that mm. it's the people who were telling us that we needed to accept that there was no security anymore that that things are going to change and in fact what's happened in the last two and a half years is workers have gone this is good, isn't it? This I actually, I quite like seeing my family occasionally. I quite like not uh, taking myself close to a coronary because I need to try and get all of my responsibilities done in the morning. Now, that's not to say that there isn't some benefit to the office, but I think, you know, what people at work have demonstrated is an incredible adaptability people have said okay i'll come in when there's a reason for me to come in Mm. but if you're just going to do what is the standard form for a lot of people in their jobs back-to-back meetings and emails i can kind of get that done at home Mm. so i think firstly it's demonstrated an incredible versatility of people at work but also I think it's exposed the fact that sometimes bosses were trying to tell us, look, you need to accept the hierarchy of the way decisions are made around here. If managers make decisions, you've got to accept them. If everyone else makes a decision, and I think I love the reverse, love it. So look, you know, what I do know, though, if you look at the best workplace cultures, and this is something that generally doesn't appear a lot in the American literature about it, but really... I think would be vivid in the experience of most people in Europe, in Australia, in the UK. Mm. Most people will recognise that good workplace cultures have a sense that we're all in it together. Mm. They have a sense that you know these are these are bond, these are an affinity. Now, look, mm. I want to be really clear. You, you can have that bond um, by not being with people every day. In fact, mm. most of us would say the best way I could feel close to my family. He's not seeing them every day.
0: <laughs> True story.
1: <laughs> you, know, so, you know, the best way that I'm gonna enjoy Christmas lunch is not to spend the whole of mm. December with my family. True. Right, okay. So, so so there's some truth in that, you know. Um, so we don't being close to people in proximity mm. terms doesn't necessarily result in us being close to them emotionally. But I think we're learning, okay. So now what we know is these two interesting things. The autonomy and the freedom and the flexibility that people have got from Mm. working in a different way has been very appealing. And actually it's been in service of making our whole lives feel more balanced. But um, also we know that the best teams do have a sense that we're all in it together. And I think that's the really interesting challenge. There's something, this this narrative fallacy is the idea that we believe that we're in the middle of a story. Mm. And, you know, there's a story arc. There's something happening. And the mistake we make is thinking we're at the end of the story. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's yeah. It's true. Yeah. Okay. Mm. That's interesting how it's ended up. <laughs> it hasn't ended up. <laughs> well, nothing's ended up. Mm. Um, And so, the, you know, the really interesting thing for the recruitment perspective, I think, is firstly, firms haven't necessarily decided where they've ended up. Mm. And secondly, we haven't found a way to articulate our position to... To recruits because mm. if you think the old days just to demonstrate you know sometimes you you don't realize you're in a black and white film until you see a flash of red and he's like oh wow we didn't realize we were in a mono culture of work because no. if if you applied for a job very rarely would you ask start time and end time outside of retail True. outside of bar work yeah. mm. you know you just presume it'll be around nine to around six mm. it wouldn't figure as a big aspect of your discussion no. It might be like in the final, oh, by the way, it's nine till six. As the final closing note, when someone's telling you what time to get there on Monday, but you know, Um, and we wouldn't discuss what days a week it was, you know, Mm. unless there was some reason to say it's not Mm. normal days of the week and you wouldn't discuss where it was going to be done. It's like, that's their office. You would just assume that,
0: wouldn't you? Yeah, it
1: Mm. would be uh, where you went for your interview. That's where you're going to be working. Yeah. You know, there was, there would be no further assumption. True. Um, and so you realize we were in a black and white movie. We were in this monoculture. That every, and so if you went on Glassdoor to read what a company was like, you knew, okay, this is the experience of people who did that nine to five, nine to six, five days a week in an office. That's exactly what. Whereas now for the first time, mm-hmm. these companies have got disagreements on this. Some companies are like, oh, yeah, you can work completely flexibly. Some companies are like, we want you in three days a week. Some companies are like, we haven't fully decided, but the mm. boss is in the state of denial about what's <laughs> happening right <laughs> yeah. now. So don't rule out more changes. Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, we're in a in really interesting moment where, firstly, firms haven't fully learned how to articulate it because mm. maybe they haven't decided or there's not words for it. Mm. And it's a, it's a really evolving state. So I think it's a fascinating time. Because you know, I think the one thing we're all really clear on, and and of course, no no one would know this better than um, than recruiters. I think well, one thing that we're really clear on is there seems to be this constant challenge to find candidates, to retain the people that you've got. Yep. There seems to have been a seismic shift from uh, in terms of how detached people are from their jobs to some extent, mm-hmm. that people might be getting new jobs but don't feel the five-year affinity that they might have had before they they feel more more transactional and so you know it's really interesting how those things are going to evolve i think
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And you've definitely summed up where we're at as a a recruitment industry. I think, you know, what you've just summed up there, if we're getting into the mindset of a lot of the leaders listening, I have no doubt, they probably don't know what to do for the best. Maybe Mm. they personally are looking at productivity, their ROI, and seeing that some people are working well hybrid, some people aren't working so well. So do you then have a split culture where you're getting... And I'm going to be very disingenuous here. Those on their early careers are probably more likely to benefit from osmosis. being you know I've listened to some of your podcasts around this topic, where you learn more from people around you, or those who have proven that they're just more productive being at home or working from you know whichever remote location. So I think that's the problem. There's a dilemma for leaders to make a firm decision. This is what we're going to do, because they know that some people, I don't know what the percentage would be, will say, see you later. I'm not doing that. And whichever way they go, and because of what you've just said there, that it's so hard to recruit, attract, retain the best talent, they're they're really scared of losing some of their best performers. That's the dilemma that they've got.
1: Yeah, here's a theory for you. I think work has transitioned, or is in the midst of transition, Mm. from being something close to our relationship with school to something close to our relationship with college.
0: Mm. And so what
1: I mean by that is that at school, your the community you were part of was enveloping it was around you it was lesson to lesson it was sort of gossip filled between <laughs> lessons you know you missed a day at school mm. and actually it was like this so intense was the collective feeling that if you mm. missed a day at school you felt like you, <laughs> you missed, missed out missed, yeah you'd missed an episode of your <laughs> favorite show you know <laughs> someone threw an apple and it bounced off sir's head you know so mm. things happened that you just felt like i don't want to miss this um, when you went to college, the, you know, so for, for university the normally, and I'm, you know, I might be sort of not speaking of universal experience, the people on your course normally weren't the people you spent the weekend with, mm. they normally weren't your best friends, you might go and have, you know, a coffee with them a drink with them. But actually, weirdly, the accident of the people who are on your corridor or shared a house with you or were friends of your friends were more likely to be your friends. In addition, at school, you had to go somewhere at nine o'clock and you left at, you know, 3.34 yeah. yeah. and uh, you did it. And and that was that was, you know, a register was taken of whether you were attending At college. You could do your work at midnight
0: well, in that. your bed.
1: Mm-hmm. And, it, and what determined the result results you get, not where you did it or when you did it, but what you did. Mm. And I think we're moving from one to the other. Now, Mm. what does that mean? Well, it's highly likely that our jobs will be less of our identity Mm. than they were before, Mm. because, you know, you won't be spending every, (laughs) every weeknight socialising with people from work. You won't necessarily, you know, one of the interesting things that's happening right now is the best predictor of whether someone likes their job is whether they've got a best friend at work.
0: Okay, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the Mm. indications are people who work hybrid are about a third as likely to say that they've got a best friend at work compared to um, the previous work. And, you know, to some extent, I suspect we can all see both sides to that. Number one, you might say, you know, having a best friend at work was just a delight. Just having someone you could go and gossip with or moan to (laughs) because you just had a really miserable someone had just pulled your legs off in mm-hmm. in the middle of a meeting you just you know you've got the opportunity to sort of unburden mm-hmm. yourself it was actually helpful or saying after work you know should we go and have a drink it was really helpful and that's the biggest predictor of whether you feel connected to your job whether you've got a right. friend there and we might be moving to a period where people don't have a best friend at work a bit like they not didn't have a best mm-hmm. friend on their course mm-hmm. they've got, they got people they chat to mm-hmm. you know but that and so i think we're moving to a, a different scenario it's not necessarily an altogether bad thing, which mm. are different things. And certainly mm. when it comes to team leadership, when it comes to our connection with work, it means that good managers are going to have to be more resourceful about how they make teams feel tightly cohesive, how they make teams feel bonded with each other. I think, you know, it's a bigger challenge than it's ever been before
0: i agree with you actually i think it's very jo- very challenging for leaders especially newer leaders you know those mm. people that are on their succession plan to first of all embrace all that the, the new role teaches them and, and they're trying to learn and still do their, their day job but they're not like you say have to take into account all these different elements as well as well as those that are actually leading companies i think that that's really insightful and you know you've, you've picked up on so many different aspects there and you know you're in a, a very advantageous position interviewing some of the amazing guests that you have. And if anyone hasn't yet listened to Bruce's podcast, you really must go and listen to it. It's really insightful. So what are, what other things are the best companies that you're witnessing doing in terms of other aspects like talking around mental well being, diversity and inclusion, menopause, disability, neurodiversity? These are all things that recruitment leaders have been talking about much more so since the pandemic. It's just, you know, we talk about broader topics, but what's the reality of what you're seeing in the best workplaces? We briefly interrupt this chat on the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast to introduce to you our partnership with Vincheri, the recruitment operating system. Vincheri is the modern recruitment operating system for recruitment and staffing agencies around the globe. A single tech platform that unifies your CRM, your ATS, your website, candidate and client portals, shift scheduler timesheets, data and analytics, and now including video interviewing and outreach, all under one roof. This is the reason the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast chose to partner with vincherry because we want to make the job of a modern recruiter as simple as possible. So if you're looking for a new recruitment CRM to manage your entire operation, visit vincherry.io and remember to mention the Recruiters Recruitment Podcast. Now back to the chat.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I I would uh, call BS on most of the talk that companies do on that, and and the reason why I would do that specifically is because I, I think a lot what a lot of companies do is they choose to attach themselves to um, to things promising solutions on those things rather than make meaningful change. So, what is it about? A working environment, the modern world of work, that's seen the average working day go up by three hours a day in the last 20 years. Mm. What is it about that environment that is making people feel more burnt out than ever before? I don't mm. know. No. I've got a pretty good guess. Um, why people might be burnt, more burnt out because they're working three hours longer than people were at mm. the millennium. And, you know, but what happens is that rather than address that, rather than say people are working too hard here and specifically, let's look at it. People are reporting, I was in one organisation yesterday and they said, well, I was talking about meetings and they said the experience of everyone in this organisation is they have back-to-back meetings all day, mm. every day. Mm. I thought, like, okay, what is it about that that then when you've got burnout um that you you're surprised by it? and the the next thing is why have you got back-to-back meetings all day yeah. well it's largely because there's there's no nothing that prevents people arranging meetings and people believe that work is done conversationally right. They think that work is done in someone talking to someone so it's constant conversation that's what they think work is now um And what generally happens then is they say people are burnt out. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a resilient seminar, which is why I've sort of just written this book on this. And, and, you know, firstly, as I say in the book, never in the history of resilience has someone been more resilient by being told to be more resilient. It's very true. (laughs) Yeah. But um, what you generally find is what happened to me when I was talking to people about the book, I'd say, I'm writing a book on resilience. And people would sort of freeze and they'd say, oh, my God, I got sent on a resilience course. I'd say, oh, how was it? And they say, I don't feel any different. Okay. Funnily well, enough. So, yeah. So <laughs> then I started thinking, okay, who decides what's in those resilient courses? Mm-hmm. Whose job is it to, well, a little bit of an investigation, and you find out. You mm-hmm. find out that, you know, the, the resilience literature, the stuff that's peddled to most people, comes from really three of three main psychologists and the good news is about psychology in the field of psychology is if you make a claim about something and you claim that you can solve something other people go away and they replicate your work they try and (laughs) they try and duplicate your effort so the good news is uh, those psychologists who made the claims made the claims that can fix school kids made the claims that they could fix people in the military uh, they they publish their work and we're able to see, oh, it doesn't work. It has zero impact whatsoever. Wow. So then you're like, hang on. So a company that isn't changing its working environment from that constant 40 hours of meetings a week, mm-hmm. plus, you know, 200 emails a day or 100 emails a day, plus nonstop Slack messages, and it's sending you on a resilience course, is actually doing worse than doing nothing. Of course it is. <laughs> because by doing nothing... You've got that to deal with. But to send you on a course that's proven not to work is kind of making you go home at the end of the day, day go, is there something wrong with me? No. It's,
0: is, yeah, your you question, is virtue signaling gone very wrong, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, is there something
1: wrong with me that I went on a resilience course and I don't feel any more resilient. I better not tell my <laughs> boss I don't feel more resilient. And so, you know, that's why I became... Mm-hmm. Uh, ignited and, and so that's the danger i think to some extent that we find ourselves in a situation where um we we hear all these things but they're not mm. meaningful solutions to no. them and you know so here's the thing that i found that my book is actually a very optimistic book but that sounds miserable but um the uh the book is basically resilience is the strength we draw from each other you mm. know resilience you know if you feel resilient it's normally because you feel part of something connected yeah. to other people and supported by them so you know you witness what goes on in ukraine or you witness the aftermath of an earthquake or a natural disaster mm-hmm. and you're not witnessing loads of people screaming i can't handle this you witness people who seem to have this inner calm this sort of connection to each other like you know we feel supported and, and uplifted by the people around us that's what resilience resilience okay. is the strength we draw from other people and as soon as you witness that you think okay so how am a company conjure with that and and deal with resilience which making them workers feel more connected supported you know to some extent in the old days that might have been unionization firms don't want that or it might be you know we've got groups of people who are going to represent employees versus the company or going to race because they don't want that and so of course what they do is they say oh yeah yeah we're going to do teach this individualistic resilience because Mm. it suits The system really so that became my fascination
0: yeah no i can understand that totally and i agree with you there there seems to be a large narrative around sort of tick box exercise tick box exercises and that's where you know our listener hopefully by you know dropping into this podcast and hopefully listening to yours and many others you you have to learn how to navigate around where the bullshit is and where it's a genuine sort of narrative of what's actually happening. You know, I mean obviously I'm going to refer to your book now because obviously you've referred to it quite a few times. And um I mean I'm only a few chapters in, as I've said, but I find that there was one bit where you talk about um that quote there, no one who's ever been told to calm down has ever calmed down, for example. You know, that's it's the language that we use, isn't it, very often to ourselves. And there's sometimes a tendency where people are, you know, being dictated to. And I'm not saying that's definitely not the case in the recruitment industry, but I think certainly for those who hire in newer people and more junior people it's almost like you will do it this way this is the way we've always done it so I, i'm i'm gonna sort of keep keep reading that and hopefully uh, be able to be able to share that so you know you're also on- available on
1: audiobook
0: yeah absolutely if you don't want to read you can just listen exactly. to it in fact in fact shannon who works with myself she produces this show she never reads a book but she listens to books all the time she's an audiobook right. fan so i'd personally like a good old-fashioned yeah. piece of paper in my hand i don't even like the older electronic kindle book whatever, yeah, yeah, kindle yeah. whichever other brands are available now you've been in a very privileged position as um, obviously former vp of twitter you you know you're an expert and trusted voice across the technology industry but you know what have you found yourself when you've had to go and find presumably very challenging talent pools of people how have you found it over the years to attract and recruit because that's at the moment the biggest headache in the recruitment industry there's not enough talent out there so what's been your personal experience as a leader
1: yeah, one of the things that, you know, when I used to work at Google, we used to have an interesting philosophy. And you might think, oh, destination employer, you've got like uh, mm-hmm. no shortage of candidates knocking on your door. Clever mm-hmm. marketing, that is, you know, mm-hmm. clever, clever positioning themselves as the best place to work. You know, it's sort of very mm-hmm. joined up marketing. But one of the things we set about doing when I was at Google, they had a really interesting, nuanced recruitment policy there. You didn't have a budget to hire people. You had a head head count to hire people. Hmm. What that meant was, you know, uh, Bruce had been given four new roles and I could hire them for any price I wanted. Wow. Okay. And so what used to happen there was people would say, oh, I've got this team. I'm going to hire a former managing director to run that team. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And what you end up with then as a result like that, you end up with loads of really senior people like hundreds of them you go to meet and there's just dozens of senior people and no one doing the job
0: mm. no
1: one feeling like they want to do the job and so i used to when i was setting up youtube i was given you know initially 3 then 7 then uh then 19 then 40 then you know i was given these people and i used to hire Kids, I mean, like at Google at the time, you could only get in if you'd got a degree. They have changed that since, and I do mm. think that's toxic. Mm. But um, you could only get in if you got a degree. So I just used to hire, you know, kids who just graduated. Yeah. And these genuinely just kids who graduated, yeah. and the enthusiasm they'd have. The, so that was our, the way we made our talent, because we knew if I can get these people for two years, I know I can get them working the way I want. Them. Yeah. Whereas if I try and find the very you know i'm never going to get someone who's perfectly matched to what we were doing and so people used to look at me <laughs> we used to have pop music playing <laughs> i don't you know I, I, we had music playing with the only team that had music playing we had like young enthusiastic kids who were just like really eager to get on hmm? um they weren't all exactly young you know there's some people who just uh, uh, later in their career wanted to jump but um but, you know, and so that's what we did because we wanted to try and create a sort of sense that things were different. When I was at Twitter, uh, we were less of a destination, you know, still in mm. technology. You, mm. you superficially think it's appealing. And the interesting thing about Twitter is that we, because we didn't just want people who used Twitter, a lot of people, half the people you meet don't use Twitter. Mm. And we didn't want to just hire people who use Twitter. Mm. So, you know, our view was, well, people who don't use it, actually, they're as interesting for Ag- us.
0: Agreed, totally, because yeah.
1: How can we understand why they didn't use it, and how mm. can we overcome? So that was so like you know whole load of people we hired who weren't big users of Twitter, mm. and uh, but we um, but our view was okay. We want people to uh, when you work here, we want people to in whatever job they were doing. We want people to say that was my favorite meeting of the week. Now that's you know so that might be they're going to meet the BBC to get a hashtag on the screen or they're going to meet a a car company to sort of get them to advertise or you know someone going to meet a footballer but we wanted it to be their favorite meeting of the week now that's not to say we were just hiring performers but you know we had a real focus on making sure that every time the team went out they would take brand new stuff out so our intention was if you saw a presentation by twitter tuesday morning there were tweets in it from monday night wow that was and so we had fresh
0: yeah so we had
1: (laughs) so so, you know if you went out and it was the brit awards on wednesday and you were presenting on thursday you would open with four minutes of tweets about the brit awards wow gosh and you know so we we set the team up to do that so you know there was someone who Mm -hmm. constantly did that like people would always say the twitter presentations are beautiful like we had someone who was focused on making them look beautiful because my view was okay we might not be the best most appealing thing they'll see today you know like i say half people didn't use twitter Mm. but i want people to look at it going wow they tell that story really well yeah so you know and so to some extent we were looking for someone who'd who'd focus on that you know i i've got a soft spot for people who try and do inventive things largely because i got my first job by sending a cartoon cv
0: oh great
1: yeah through to record companies and and to um and to jobs wanted, and eventually, even though I ended up doing loads of work experience at record companies, and um, even though I didn't get a job from it, it was in the midst of a a recession, I ended up using that same CV to get a job at Capital Radio, that's how I got my first job. Wow,
0: amazing, I love that.
1: Yeah, 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 and so, you know, I've got a big soft spot for anyone who uh, communicates in creative ways, so, you know, we'd have people who, when I was at YouTube, someone created I think it's still on YouTube, it's called C-V-I-V. And it's uh, someone created a video using uh, YouTube annotations. So he said, do you want to see about my personal life? Kick, click here if you want to see about, brilliant. If wow. you see it, yeah. If you search on YouTube for C-V-I-V.
0: Okay. See it's, not,
1: it's not the best, it's not the perfect, most perfect done, but it's really nice. And so I met with and him. And it's
0: different as well. Yeah, it's going right. to make them stand out, isn't it? That's
1: right. We had a couple of people who did similar things at Twitter. Uh, and I just love things like that because, yeah. you know, it just shows that you're thinking about your audience. What I always say to candidates, when, if I go into schools, I always say, look, you know, um, if someone told you there was a, uh, a a way to get to someone that, like, no one else uses. If someone told you there was a lane on the motorway that no cars drive in, yeah. you go, all oh, right, unbelievable. Okay, I think I'll drive in that lane. But <laughs> posting something to someone is that now. Mm. Most people at work get zero letters a year. Yeah. Mm. You know, they get no mail. True. They get a magazine subscription, you know, and especially because we went through two years without seeing our offices, probably most of those have been moved to home. So <laughs> now, if you've got the chance, if you're a candidate, to send something to someone, and no, it will be the only thing that sits yeah, on their desk. Yeah, I find it true. unbelievable. I yeah. said to kids at school, "If you want to, if you want to go and work at whatever company it is." I guarantee you could you could get your message to the boss of that. Now, in my experience, if you make it a little bit emotionally involving, if you make it look charming, you know, personally, if I was doing it, I would send a balloon with a Polaroid attached of me holding a cup of tea saying I'll make you a cup of tea. If I was a kid trying (laughs) to get work experience, experience. forget about asking your mum and dad for help, you know, like demonstrate that you've done something yourself anyway.
0: I love that. Great but, um, ideas. Are you going yeah. to be bombarded with balloons and cups of tea offers now, Bruce? Unfortunately,
1: I. <laughs> unfortunately, I. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I don't have any jobs to offer. But what I mean yeah. is that. Um, but what I mean is, uh, if you were like trying to get work experience somewhere, and mm. uh, sending a a poloid to someone saying, you know, I will make you a cup of tea four times yes, a day it's
0: just it's just being it's being bit brave bit brazen but just being creative and original yeah, and i think absolutely. maybe the world was lacking that because of the instagram kind of veneer that the the last generation have certainly lived through i think to actually stand out and be different and like you say just send something in the post yeah. send send some brownies you know send something that makes the person stop and think i think it's really really good advice actually really interesting first ruling radio
1: First rule I used to work in radio. I've got my job at Capital Radio with the cartoon. First rule in radio, you never eat anything that's been sent to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear.
0: So, yeah. Oh right. You okay. Eat,
1: you never eat something that's come from a listener.
0: Okay. So, just uh, just in case. Oh gosh, I don't no, I really personally think that. wouldn't
1: send brownies. No. But um
0: Okay, but, yeah, maybe not. It's just because I like brownies, you can also send me brownies. Yeah.
1: Instead.
0: Now I want to just <laughs> I want to just ask you something before because I know you've given up so much of your time and I've been I've been so grateful to you. Um a large part of what happens in recruitment is when the, the, we're talking about culture changing. Obviously, we are definitely in a transition. We're definitely not in a new norm because I don't know what that even means. So when you've got a culture that has gone, is going through a change at the moment and as a leader, we're looking around going, right, well, you know, they're just not really part of it anymore, but they've been a super biller. They've been, you know, a really big part of our talent pool. What would you do as a leader if you can see that there's basically toxicity in the business that wasn't there before, should people be thinking about performance managing on behavior on that basis if they're not going to be part of our new journey?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, firstly, it demonstrates the importance of, of cultural catalysts in the team. If you've got mm. someone in the team that's like a one of those radiators that everyone loves being part of that love yeah. that loves, you know, that energize and motivate and, and make the team laugh. You know, bite that bite your hand off to to keep them. You know, those mm. cultural magnets are going to be worth their weight in gold. They love the, the value they're going to bring. And mm. I think, you know, it's an important reminder to understand that curating team culture is going to require you understanding what you know, what elevates something, and look, the way you might think about this, if you were having a party, you think about the music, you think about the staging, you think about the dress code, you think about the food, because you know, if you just bring people into a room without some sort of curated experience, it might be quite flat, Yeah. you know, look what's the difference between people turning up to, you know, a, a school meeting for parents, and a party, you know, Mm. the signals you send about the energy and so i think it means for leaders you need to think about what you're doing to build that energy that connection that Mm. that buy-in what would people perceive as a reason to believe that we're all in this together what would they what would they imagine as the reason why they care about this um Mm. so those things are really critical these uh, there is really interesting evidence about um people who can poison the water the 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 water um you know there was a really interesting piece of work done i think in australia where they had groups of people people working on a project and they deliberately bought brought in someone who like a secret agent someone who was going to uh create a toxic environment so one of the people they brought in had their heads down in their hands saying what's the point of all this someone said this is so boring and had their feet on the (laughs) table and like one of these secret agents was brought into each team and what they found was that one disruptive person could more than uh, I think could reduce the performance of a team by almost half.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Massive. Wow. So look, you know, so what does it tell us? Drains and radiators have a disproportionate impact Mm. on the way we're working Mm. and the, the, the impact on our culture. And so, yeah, absolutely. You might say, okay, I'm going to, think specifically about the way that this person is having an impact you know normally with performance issues you split them into conduct and capability and you know so is this is someone a high high capability but their conduct is bad and mm-hmm. i think you know calling out their conduct is a really vital part of, of leadership and mm-hmm. you know may, and there's opportunities to do that Definitely, if you feel that it's impacting other team members, so conduct and capability, and I think probably, you know, those things have always been the, the axis that you need to think about for performance, but if someone is negatively impacting the overall um, engagement of a team, then that's a really vital consideration, I think.
0: without a shadow attack we don't want any mood hoovers i like the radiate the radiate versus you know the sort Mm. of i I like to think that that's what we should be doing anyway because of the job that we're doing oh that's been really really insightful so what's next for you bruce because i obviously i'm a super fan of yours talk to me about people that are inspiring you right now and then what's next for you Are, are there any more books up your sleeve
1: I don't think i'll write another book certainly not in the short term um look you know delighted that the books just hit the bestseller so um i'm thrilled about that um you know i'm yeah, thank you I'm, I'm going out and talking about that i've been been out somewhere this morning I Was out somewhere yesterday i'm at an event all day tomorrow right. talking about so you know about sort of talking about that and and having an impact um and some lovely reviews coming in last week uh, Ed Miliband called it an an absolute revelation. I've had some Amazing. really nice comments from uh, from sort of other endorsements. So thrilled about that. You'll see on the top there that Stephen Bartlett from he Diary the CEO gave it a lovely uh, blurb too. So you know some really nice comments. Just talking about that. Really, I think <laughs> I think in ter- anyone who's got a job right now, is in a really fascinating moment of work because. The idea that we're going to create something that's future-facing and progressive and new by trying to go back to the way that things used to be isn't going to work and so you know it's going to require all our inventiveness to say what can we do that's going to make this different and special it's why i um i often talk about you know some of the pillars of workplace culture and one of those pillars you know so the Pillars for me are the importance of voice. People feel heard. They feel that their, their voice matters. The importance of affiliation, a strong connection between people is a vital component of work. There needs to be space. There needs to be slack in the system. Uh, you know, Normally, a good culture isn't one where people are so burnt out they can't do anything. I went, one, I went to one company, and they said, uh, we've tried to change the culture here. We invited everyone to a four-hour uh, se- seminar about it, and no one came. I thought too right. They didn't. Yeah. And then the final uh, part is articulation, talking about Mm -hmm. culture. You know, good cultures talk about their culture, and especially in this era where we spend less time together Mm -hmm. talking about your culture and trying to understand how you transfer that culture to the next generation of recruits if you've got something someone coming to work for you how do you talk about your culture in an honest meaningful and Mm. and transferable way i think that's you know one of the big challenges for anyone right now
0: it definitely is and it, you know it's, it's like any relationship isn't it you wouldn't just have a marriage that you don't talk about how you're feeling about things and it's the same in any meaningful relationship which work definitely is oh my gosh there are so many amazing sound bites in this Bruce I can't believe you came on uh, I'm truly grateful to you and um, I, I just want to thank you for everything that you do because I have been listening and there are so many wonderful episodes that I think our audience would definitely benefit from listening to and you know I'll continue to listen and I can't wait to get to the end of the book I'll let you know what I think But thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. You too, too. Take care. Thank you.